Hello and welcome to The Road to Autonomy. The Road to Autonomy is brought to you in part by Stantec Generation AV. Stantec Generation AV combines some of the most experienced AV experts in the industry with the resources of a global engineering firm. Stantec Generation AV provides education, consulting, assessment, and guidance to any industry interested in autonomous vehicles. Learn more at Stantec.com. Hello and welcome to The Road to Autonomy. I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Ariel Wolf, General Counsel, Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association. Ariel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Grayson. It's great to be here. Great to have you here. You've done two wonderfully powerful things in the past week. You've rebranded the association to the Autonomous Vehicle Association, so thank you for that. And you had the courage to go testify on Capitol Hill on behalf of the industry. So thank you so much for that. They say it's all in a name from Self-Driving Coalition for Safer Streets, the Autonomous Vehicle Association. Why the rebrand? I've already said it was a smart move, but why the rebrand? You know, I think we're, I would say we're very excited about this. Um, the, the brand, it showcases the evolution of both the AV industry and the organization's role with policymakers and the public. The association has matured from a narrowly focused coalition to a trade association. And the coalition was formed in 2016. Um, and now as we grow, we've grown into a trade association, we continue to engage with federal, state, and local policymakers. Uh, but you know, we really represent the breadth of the large and diverse and expanding AV industry. Lots of use cases, lots of business models. This is a mature and maturing uh, industry. And we're excited about this um, Really what the new name signifies. We've tripled in membership. We've really reinforced our role as the unified voice of this AV industry. And as part of that, we've significantly increased our engagement with lawmakers and regulators. So I would say that the new name, it aligns with the members' commitment to precision and consistency in how the industry, policymakers, journalists, and the public, for that matter, talk about autonomous driving technology. And that's really at the crux of all of this. We, we really want to be precise and consistent in communicating this technology to all of these important stakeholders. It's a very valid point. The industry is maturing in the early days of the industry and, and before the industry was rebranded, uh, companies were still young. They were still trying to figure out business models. Now these companies have gone public. We have publicly traded companies. We have large multinational corporations are using the technology. We're really if you want to use a baseball analogy, we're at the top of the second inning and we're starting to become a, a mature business, which is really fun. And we're thankful for the service that you bring that unified voice to the industry where you're able to speak with the lawmakers or speak with the public to clearly articulate the fine benefits of autonomous vehicles, because there's a lot of benefits. And in the press release, you hit the nail on the head when you stated autonomous vehicles offer significant opportunities to improve road safety, as well as transform mobility boost supply chains. Thank you for the supply chain call out. Create jobs. Yes, autonomous vehicles will create jobs. Increase equity and reduce emissions. The Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association remains the foremost voice on the policies needed to make AV benefits a reality for Americans. Well said. Somebody hears me say that, well, that's great, fine and dandy, but what policies are needed to ensure the AV industry can scale and that millions of Americans can benefit from this technology? So there are a couple of ways of thinking of that. You know, a big picture, we think of it in terms of some pillars, and those would be as follows. First and foremost, we really need to enhance the public trust in the technology. And there are a number of ways to do that. Um, 
that I'll, I can mention in a bit. But um, the second one is we have to maximize deployment. This is part of a, at the crux of it, if we have a national framework, and that in includes, you know, our national system, there's a federal government role, there's a state role. So a national framework, putting that together, that um, it promotes the safe and swift deployment. Those two things have to go together. And we've said, you know, we've said this to lawmakers up and down uh, levels of government. The safety side is about enhancing public trust. Um, of course, the technology being safe, but also having the public understand just how safe it is and the ability of the technology to make the road safer. And that's that's fundamental to the really it's the bedrock of the industry itself and what's led to its um, in investment and growth in that industry. It's going to make the road safer, given all the, the, the issues with human behavioral challenges. Um, but then maximizing deployment. We cannot just focus on the, the component of making the road safer and the justification with the technology. We have to take steps, uh, whether it's regulatory barriers or otherwise, to maximize deployment from the perspective of a regulatory framework, the way other countries are starting to do that. So those two things are kind of the key pillars. And of course, we have to promote innovation throughout this ecosystem. So policies have to be tech neutral. They have to, um, we have to just foster that innovation and competition and be willing to see the different use cases start to emerge as we're seeing, whether it's trucking or pass car or last mile delivery and all of that. So beyond that, of course, there are specifics on whether it's AV legislation in Congress, or there's regulatory initiatives and rulemakings in um, U.S. Department of Transportation and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. And then, of course, it is February, so there's state laws. Um, states are in session. And they're in business. So we're, um, we're tracking a lot of AV legislation there and both proposals that will achieve the those objectives I laid out, but also some that um, unfortunately may um, pose risks to that model and so we get engaged in those as well. We've seen it historically in state houses. You've seen some elected officials want to roll out automation as the boogeyman to either go from the assembly to the state senate, and that's not good. Because the underlying factor that's going to unify everybody on this is the public trust, that the public trusts this technology, this technology will scale it, and we have a national framework in place. It's going to level the playing field. There's going to be no no more of this, and the public will be able to go, say, from Arizona to Texas in an autonomous vehicle. The public perhaps will be able to get their goods shipped cheaper from overstate lines because of this technology. This technology is going to have tremendous benefits on society from an economic standpoint, but it's also going to have positive benefits on a safety standpoint. And when we, we look at safety, safety for the most part in some fashions of the industry is a buzzword but we know that safety is personal it goes right down to the household an individual gets in a crash and god forbid they perish that's deeply personal to their family a celebrity gets in a crash or, or perishes then it's on the news but to everybody it's deeply personal and then you have some individuals that you see it on tiktok on youtube on instagram that think adas is a self-driving car and they do things that are i'll just use the term not not smart frankly it's stupid because they believe that the adas is a self-driving car in the role that you're sitting with interacting with legislators and policymakers and their staffs how are you working to clarify the confusion between the features and benefits of adas and, and true autonomy well this is really a central issue for what we're trying to accomplish right now and every with each I would say 
wave uh, of evolution for this industry. There are different challenges, uh, as you noted at the outset, Grayson. You know, this is different than 2015, 2016. It's different than 2017 and, and so forth. What we're seeing right now as one of the key challenges is uh, the confusion in the public between the features and benefits of driver assist technology and autonomous vehicle technology. And as I think you and I both know, these are two separate things. So how do we how do we deal with that? And, you know, the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association, we did recently call on all stakeholders, including Congress, policymakers, journalists, uh, and, the, and frankly, the industry itself to clearly distinguish between these two technologies, AVs and driver assist. And that will help boost consumer trust and understanding. And I think, you know, it's one thing here is just noting kind of the, the twin dangers of this conflation and this confusion. You know, one is, as you're noting, the TikTok videos and, and so forth, there's an actual danger to physical for physical harm to come to consumers who um, who don't understand this and are susceptible to some of the conflation that's being put forward. But then also, when you look at some of the the, the perception of AV technology, it's influenced, unfortunately, by un this unrelated uh, ADAS technology, and that leads to a, di a diminishment of consumer trust that's really unjustified. So those two things pose great problems, and we're trying to call that out. We've seen some policymakers or lawmakers, I think maybe in the Senate, they've asked for, for federal regulators to look at how different technologies um, are being marketed. And there may be some, some follow-up there. And, uh, you know, those are questions for those policymakers. But I think there is an aspect here that revolves around the marketing of this technology, uh, particularly driver assist, so that we don't face those problems. And I think if we can decouple the two technologies, um, what we're going to see is an alleviation of both of those dangers that I noted before. Uh, certainly we want to see, that, you know, we don't want to see harm come to anyone as a result of that confusion, but we also are excited about the impact on the AV side and the AV industry, because as I noted, I, I, you know, I, I think earlier this week, um, to see AV technology is to see it's, is to understand its potential. And the more this gets out there, the more we have the public interacting and understanding that without the burden of the driver assist issues and the high profile ones, I think we're going to see the public really take to this technology. We'll see the public take to the technology if they can truly understand it. And things that bounce around in my head, is it the name? We have automated driver assist. Well, automated. Well, that's that's a robot from the Jensen's. Just like George Jetson went to work, that was automated. So maybe the, perhaps there's confusion there. And there is a a state legislator who, who I know very well. He said, you know, Grayson, how you saw this? He goes, you make emojis. Just like you have on your iPhone or your Android device, you have an emoji of what the vehicle can and can't do. The public can relate to that. Does that come down to something that simple that the public can just look at that and go, aha, I know, just uh, I'll give you an example. The MPAA, the, the Motion Picture Association of America, they have the ratings from, from G uh, to R, and we'll, we'll leave the other ratings out. But is that something that the public says, okay, a G-rated movie, oh, that's good for a five-year-old or a six-year-old. Is that kind of where we need to get to understand the public just instantly knows perhaps it's the emoji or perhaps it's something else in the future? You know, I like the thought there. It's something to give a lot of consideration to. And it speaks to that exact challenge of how does how do we communicate to the public, not just we, but so the overall industry, the automotive industry that's engaged in, in both of these technologies. How do we communicate to the public um, along these lines and whether that's... Uh, Look, I, I I hope it's as simple as coming up with an emoji. Um, I'll ask uh, one of my four daughters or all of them to brainstorm that 
to come up with it. If that does the trick, then um, then we're you know that'll be great. But I suspect it'll be the challenge is is greater. And of course, uh, tongue in cheek there, but I, I think the challenge is a little bit about both. I th- understandable confusion from the public. Look, we these are a dynamic um, industry. It's a dynamic environment where consumers are going to buy a new car, and there's a lot of options. Um, and then they're hearing about self-driving, autonomous, automated vehicles at different levels uh, in different ways in the news. But I would also say that one of the challenges um, is from stakeholders or even policymakers that I think either do understand the difference or um, should understand the difference and uh, continuing to conflate these two things. And I think we need to find a way to address that as well, in addition to sort of this kind of overall public uh, uh, discussion. We need the public discussion at the same time we need a discussion in Congress because there is confusion among elected officials and staff around what is ADAS and what is autonomous. There's been public statements from lawmakers, both in Congress and the Senate, that are kind of confused around the technology. But you're taking the leadership mantle. On Tuesday, February 2nd, you testified as part of the Road Ahead for Automated Vehicles hearing part of the Committee on Transportation Infrastructure Subcommittee on Highways and Transit in Congress. Very important step. What did you discuss during your testimony? What did you think going into this hearing? Well, it's hard to know what to expect heading into a hearing like that. Um, That committee um, really hadn't looked at the issue in in a little bit of time. There's been this um, kind of wheel spinning, frankly, with respect to AV legislation uh, in the committees of primary jurisdiction before that. So, um, and then kind of throw in what I would say is a bit of a unclear posture for this current administration, the current overall uh, sentiment in DC right now over autonomous vehicle technology. So coming into it is hard to know. What I would say is, um, first of all, uh, I, I was very uh, pleased with the, the quality and caliber of discourse uh, of that hearing. Uh, of course, there are representatives from uh, labor organizations from the state DOTs, from cities, National League of Cities, or academics, and so forth. And um, I thought it was a good conversation there. You know, one of the key points that that we tried to make um, a couple of times here is uh, the reaffirmation the, uh, by US DOT about the implications of human behavior on driving in this country and reaffirming in fact, that in this current crisis we face, because that's what we have. We have a crisis on the roads today. Um, Just absolutely horrifying numbers uh, being put out just the day before the hearing about the, uh, now it's a 12% increase in fatalities for the first nine months of 2021. Um, And this rather, you know, it's it's a bit strange, Gracie, because you mentioned before um, some of the, you know, there are high profile examples of of celebrities that might get into uh, crashes. there's a bit of, there's a cognitive dissonance in this country, and maybe it's just natural between almost everyone, maybe everyone has some kind of a connection to a, a terrible crash, a serious fatal accident or, or a serious injury, someone in their family, a friend, they know of someone. And yet the statistics we hear, well, it's gone up 12%. There's now we're on pace for the worst year from 2021 in 2021 in really ever recorded. And we're numb to those statistics. So there's a complacency when we hear statistics. And then there's uh, the fact that it touches everyone. So how does those two things come together? Then we have DOT reaffirming that 
that human behavior is the uh, one of the key factors in the vast majority of these crashes. So what we wanted to really convey, and I, I think we did at this hearing, is that not only are AVs being developed safely, and there are a lot of ways we can describe how they're being developed safely, but more, really more importantly, the deployment of this technology is going to make the road safer. We got to get AVs out there, AV technology, and it's not just passenger car, it's in trucks, it's in heavy trucks, it's in delivery vehicles. That technology is going to address this crisis. Now, um, the conversation in that hearing was really about, in part, there was some discussion about, you know, did the, was there a, a was there some kind of conversation or position over the past few years suggesting that the deployment of AV technology is the only thing we should do to make the road safer? I'm not sure that was ever the implication, but to the extent that it was, we don't, we don't think that's the case. AV technology, deploying that to make the road safer should be part of a holistic solution to make the road safer. And that's what the DOT strategy was about last week and its reaffirmation of the, the central place that AV technology can play along with infrastructure investments and everything else, that's the message we wanted to convey um, to the members of Congress and to the public. And, uh, you know, I think we did. I read the, the testimony, the transcript, and you did do that. But be, And I want to bring up a point from your, your testimony. But before we get there, I want to point this out around human behavior. Earlier, pre-pandemic, it was distracted driving devices. And that's, that was a well-known published statistic that an individual looks at their phone, they're more likely to get into a crash. But now, as we go in towards the worst year ever in terms of crashes and fatalities, it's stress from the pandemic. Americans are stressed to capacity. That has to be taken into account. And on the AV side, autonomous vehicles do not get distracted. Autonomous vehicles do not get stressed because when you're stressed, you tend to think about something else and you tend to speed. Both of what AVs don't do. And that's really, really powerful. Totally agree. You know, one way to think of it is autonomous vehicles are programmed to drive like your driving instructor, right? They just follow all the rules. Um, and, you know, last week, Grayson, I, I had the chance to to go to um, San Francisco and then Las Vegas. And earlier before that, um, in, I was in Florida and had a chance to really get in these vehicles. But it's important, as I said before, to see it is to understand it and to and really not believe it, but to understand what it can, the transformational capabilities of this technology. It, it was startling almost how, how bored you get in the back because these, these vehicles, they, they're handling everything. I mean, there was an instance navigating the streets of San Francisco, trying to make a right lane change and a, it paused. And I was thinking, why is, why is it paused? Is something wrong? And I couldn't see anything. And then lo and behold, <laughs> this guy on a motorcycle just was going, just blows by at 90 miles an hour. And the vehicle understood that way in advance that it wasn't safe to make that right lane change. God knows what would have happened if I if I was driving the, the vehicle, I wouldn't have. Seen. So, you know, it, it's just it, it's just tremendous to see the technology in action, and I think that is is so important. It's very important. The industry took a massive, massive step forward last week when Cruise announced they're going to allow the public to ride in the vehicles on the streets of San Francisco. Gil West, Rob Grant, Kyle Vogt, well done, gentlemen. Well, well done. And Mary Barr, thank you for, for letting this happen and, and making it a reality. That is going to change the game. It goes into your theory. Seeing is understanding. Can you imagine you and I 
we're involved with technology. We've been in the vehicles, but you have a an individual visiting San Francisco and they go for a ride for the first time and that giant smile on their face to this is boring. All right, we achieved our goal and they get and then we further achieve it when they get safely to their destination. That's going to be a a beautiful situation. And I was joking a while back with the cruise folks. I said, you know, it'd be cool. San Francisco Giants win the World Series again, and you and you put Willie Mays in the the vehicle, and you and you go down a parade. Now you know that Thomas vehicles are in pop culture, so we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, you know uh, the the announcement from Cruz was was great to see. Whether it's their uh, act, activity in San Francisco or uh, Waymo in in uh, Chandler, Arizona, or Emotional in Vegas, and Neuro in, in their um, places Argo and Aurora and Pittsburgh and, and many others. And I'm, I'm going to regret leaving out. But, you know, uh, of course, in the trucking side, too, all the pilots we're seeing in Texas with uh, with Kodiak and Embark and Too Simple. Um, th- these are just really and Zooks is testing in in, uh, in Washington state. Look, it's coming out. It's out there. It's out there now. And that was one of the interesting exchanges. You know, I had um, I've had a couple of times with with folks in the in in the press, and it was also it came up with in the congressional hearing. Now, when is this going to happen? Because I think one of the the talking points that we saw it's already a little old. Like, well, industry's promised uh, this or that, and it's going to and and you know where is it? Well, the answer is simple: it's here. Like, what what you know, it's already here. But we're the thing that's inhibiting deployment is the regulatory framework. The national framework has to be adapted. Um, and adjust it to maximize it, whether it's exemptions, raising exemption caps, or removing barriers in FMVSS, or and so forth. That is what we need to do. But the technology is here. It's going to get better, um, but it's it's here, and they're rolling it out. And we just we we have to find ways to break down those barriers to get that deployment. And d- during the hearing, you had a back and forth with Representative Rick Crawford of, of Arkansas, and Representative Crawford asked you the following. How will high, higher levels of automation make trucking jobs safer and what impact will it have in terms of efficiencies on automated trucking and productivity? You responded to Representative Crawford and say the following. There is a truck uh, truck driver shortage that's, that's having an impact on the economy and the supply chain. That along with a DOT study show that it's time to shift the way we think about jobs and automated trucks. The two can complement each other, deploying the necessary tech for autonomous trucks will create jobs. You're right. So as you work very hard and diligently with your members to get the regulatory framework in place, how do we shift the way that individuals and policymakers think about jobs and autonomous trucks? Because as you stated, autonomous trucks will create jobs. Well, you know, it starts with with two things that uh, folks are seeing now, Uh, seeing it directly and and then they're understanding it indirectly. The first is the supply chain crisis. Well, we got we got a crisis. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. Now that you know the the severity of it, I think is going to wax and wane. But one of the key um, it's hard to avoid using the term driver. <laughs> one of the key drivers of of this issue is the longstanding truck driver shortage, as you just noted. I, you know, you can't get around that. And I was struck by the fact that there was a there was a little bit of a conversation with with the labor witnesses on this. But ultimately, really, I would say not a. Um, there really isn't a denial that a shortage exists. It may be a question of how it gets resolved, but this is a, a mushrooming problem uh, that's going to be over a hundred thousand uh, shortage very soon. So, um, 
you have that plus then you know then you have a technology that's you know ready to be rolled out is being rolled out um that addresses that shortage directly right so i think people understand it's a very linear kind of thing i'm not getting my stuff the the groceries are the, the shelves are they're empty. Where's the bags of lettuce? Where's the stuff? And then you hear about a truck driver shortage, and then you hear about technology that can safely replace that. Well, you know, what are we doing, right? What's the, what what's stopping us? This is America. Like, what is stopping us from getting that out um, and getting this new technology out? So I think you start there. But to your question about how do we change the conversation? Well, I think that most most folks would probably look at that and say, all right, yeah, I, I get that. So this technology is not replacing jobs in the short term, but, you know, let's say it catches up quickly. Are we going to be replacing jobs once they fill that backlog, which of course would be very hard to do, really hard to meet that shortage as it, as it grows. Well, well, then you just talk about that study. And this is a DOT study creating 35,000 jobs a year, um, the tremendous economic growth. Um, it's not an industry study. That's a U.S. government study. Um, and it's, you know, complemented by other studies by independent research uh, firms that show that the growth of this ecosystem will be an enormous net benefit economically and jobs wise for for the country and local regions and you slice it however you want. So you put that together, you know, it is rare to have a policy issue where it's it's as concrete as that. I think this is one of those examples. Let's let's put this into context that for our listeners that might not be in the industry but are looking forward to the Super Bowl. Inflation for the cost of goods, hamburgers, hot dogs, chips, soda, 12% increase in inflation this year. Your Super Bowl party is going to cost 12% more because of inflation. That's a big kicker. So that's for every $100, an additional $12 is going to have to go there. And I want to, now we put that in the consumer perspective. Let's take this, this into the truck driver perspective because nationally there's a lack of truck drivers. As I just said with the Super Bowl, leading to inflation. You talked about that. I have a friend in uh, Pennsylvania couldn't get chicken at the grocery store because a lack of trucks. But according to, and I'm going to go to here on government data. According to recent data released by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the annual inflation rate for overall trucking is 17%. I repeat, 17%. Then for the long haul trucking sector, annual inflation is 25%. We have Jay Powell at the Fed pegging inflation at over 7.5%. It's running rampant. We see it at the gas pumps. We're seeing it in the grocery stores. We have a solution with autonomous trucking. Why is the United States not embracing autonomous trucking as part of a comprehensive strategy to reduce inflation? Well, I can't answer, you know, at the at the overall policy level, um, why we're not doing it. I, but it might be worth saying one thing at the outset here, which is autonomous trucking companies are stepping forward into the breach here. I mean, they're, they're setting up partnerships. They're carrying freight. They're, they're hauling freight. Uh, now, is it at the scale that we want to see? No, because uh, we need some changes for that to occur. Um, right now, it's state by state. Um, and we and the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association, what we're doing is we're trying to clear as much as we can um, uh, groups of states, regions, try and open up the I-10 corridor. And, and a lot of that is open. Um, you got obstacles in California, you got obstacles in other places. Um, so we're doing it, but if we want to see it done better at the national level, we have to have, um, this regulatory framework that allows it to scale. And 
you know, that's that's going to be a question in conversations with the Department of Transportation and with, with Congress. There are these stakeholders. Um, some of them were represented at that hearing this week. Um, and it speaks to the point just before. It has to be about changing the conversation of the implications and consequences of getting this technology out. I think we all are sensitive to the concerns and we understand it. And it's just about having a reasonable, fact-based adult conversation about where we are as a country and the sobering stats you just cited, Grayson, right? Like this, this inflation in the trucking sector is far outpacing any wage growth. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a huge problem. So um, if we have that, if we continue to have that conversation and it leads to legislation at the national level and regulatory actions that address it, um, then we can maintain our leadership position here in, in autonomous trucking in America, um, because there's a lot of pent, I mean, it's just so exciting. They're getting it out there and there's pent up investment and, and momentum. We got to unlock that. And the, you stated this, but I'll take this for the autonomous trucking industry is leading. And during the depths of the COVID pandemic, the industry stepped up pro bono. I repeat pro bono to haul food for food banks to get the food to the individuals who needed it the most. I call it yummy tummies or happy tummies. And the autonomous trucking industry stepped up to ensure that those individuals were able to get healthy meals. So thank you to the industry for, for taking that leadership mantle. Thank you for the industry for doing everything you can to help lower the cost of inflation because every single American is, is feeling what inflation is un horrifically doing to us. Well, Congress ever hold a hearing around this and saying what are the benefits of autonomous trucks we want to hear the good the bad and the ugly and ever hold a hearing to debate this or to kind of get to the bottom or be very frank to learn about the topic and what the benefits are i think that's got started this week um in earnest and i think you're right that that conversation had been studiously avoided um to date the you know you look at previous iterations of AV legislation in Congress, and trucking was summarily excluded uh, in different you know different ways for for various reasons. Um, but what we had this week in earnest was um, a, the start of that conversation. You had um, the Teamsters uh, represented TWU at at the table or at the witness uh, table. Um, our association industry. Uh, Aurora was a witness and you had a state DOT and, and uh, again, National League of Cities. And I think a good part of the conversation was around uh, the benefits of AV trucking. And there seemed to be strong member interest there. So as a start, I think it's it's auspicious to look at that. The question is, and maybe to your point, where do we go from here? Um, should there be further hearings, um, events, other types of policymaker discussions? I think some are taking place behind closed doors, but we need to get it more out in the public and build on the momentum from this week. Um, and frankly, I think, you know, part of it also is getting in, in the, in the discourse, in the press, having that conversation, the new, the, the, you know, that changed conversation, moving past misconceptions and sort of older and antiquated ideas about, uh, AV trucking, uh, and the impact on jobs, uh, we got to get that juiced and primed that in combination with some additional hearings, I think will have a great impact. I love the idea of moving out into the public because 90% of world trade moves by the sea and 31% of all imports into the United States enter through the port of LA and the port of long beach politics aside, 
reality aside, if the leadership of the Port of LA and the Port of Long Beach allowed a couple of autonomous trucks there and said, we're embracing the future, we feel your pain, we want to help lower inflation, that would be that public moment where, wow, we did it. Because it's going to benefit the consumer. And I want to go further into, into the statistics here because we all saw the reports from Goldman Sachs, the aerial photos around the Port of LA, Port of Long Beach during the depths of pandemic, and the container ships are still sitting out there. Great report from Goldman a couple of weeks ago. The ships are now past the horizon line, so they're still there. And the Financial Times has done some really great research where it's taking anywhere from 28 to 52 days to ship a pair of shoes produced in China from Shanghai to Los Angeles. That's up between 17 to 28 days before the pandemic. Not only that, the total cost has gone up by $1.77 per per pair, according to Alex Partners. That's incredible. This is real-world data. It's having a real-world negative effect on the consumer. When do we get that public moment where the trucks were able to go into the ports for the benefit of the consumer and the benefit of the society? Because the benefit of society, this will lower the cost of goods, it will lower inflation, and most importantly, autonomous trucking will create jobs. When will we get there? And if I could give you that specific date, uh, I'd probably be able to retire right now, Grayson. But I, <laughs> but uh, more directly, you know, you raise a lot of good good points there, and that's exactly the kind of issue. Uh, it's exactly why our members are engaged with policymakers to remove those barriers uh, for AV trucking, trucking, but it, but you know, safely and in a timely manner. Um, you know, there's. There's the issue in California, right? Um, autonomous trucking is not the testing and operation is not permitted, you know, for vehicles over 10,001 pounds or more. Um, that's something that we're we're working on. We we have to get to a point where that that technology can be safely tested and deployed in California. Um, and we're we're hoping, you know, we continue to engage uh, on on all fronts to try and get that opened up. I think, you know, you think about like 65% of U.S. consumable goods are brought to market by trucks, right? So um, the the implementation of full autonomy in the trucking sector, it has this ability to decrease operating costs by like 45%. And the savings there, as I understand, would be between like 85 billion and 125 billion. The benefits to our nation's economy, to our workers and supply chains, it's going to make this technology, AV trucking, well positioned to complement this broader array of economic benefits that AV deployment will bring. I want to say one other thing too, because we talk a lot about the macroeconomics and and all of that um, of AV trucking. But I think, you know, and I take it upon myself, you know, oftentimes I'll forget to mention it's not just about all those things. Those are so many important positive benefits. But what about the impact on the, the truckers themselves, right? Um, what do these these statistics mean um, for the average family, for individuals, for a small business, and even the trucking, right? So if autonomous trucks, they take on more long haul trips, that means that a truck driver can have more reasonable hours and be home with his or her family more often, right? Um, if you look at the way it'll get deployed, that could be a, a very positive impact. Um, Autonomous trucks, they're not restricted to this human driver schedule so they can go farther in less time. What does that mean in terms of transit? It could unlock new agricultural goods or markets and reduce spoilage because they can go um, farther without stopping. So 
we have to make it specific. It's incumbent upon the industry to really make it specific and help people understand this is going to be a positive for everyone involved. Um, and that is the challenge to, to get these, to get that conversation going. And then I think we could have success in California and elsewhere. It will be a positive, but there's certain individuals in California that put their heads in the sand like an ostrich and don't want to hear anything. Is that why the California Alliance for Freight Innovation was created? Well, um, without uh, any reference to ostriches or other um, such uh, zoological creatures, I would say, um, you know, the California Alliance for Freight Innovation is dedicated to, to bringing the latest innovation and to transform how freight is moved across the Golden State. Um, and it's we want to do it. In a, it's going to benefit businesses and consumers. So CAFE, uh, the acronym there, CAFE, you know, we work with California lawmakers, with regulators and the public. And we're doing that to kind of we want to foster innovation and advancement in freight transportation and promote this safe testing and deployment of autonomous trucks and heavy duty vehicles that currently is by regulation, not um, not permitted. So what CAFE is, it's really, it's a diverse group of autonomous truck developers, for sure. I mean, there's you got to have the technology in there, but it's not limited to the technology developers. Um, it's carriers, it's shippers, it's um, truck OEMs, or original equipment manufacturers, it's ecosystem partners, sensor manufacturers, trade groups, and all of the entities that, sh that share an interest in the significant and diverse benefits that are presented by autonomous truck technology. You look at... California. I used to live in California. It, it was the golden state. It's no, it's no longer the golden state. And according to U.S. Census data since 2010, 700,000 Californians have relocated to Texas. You, you see this backlog at the port of L.A. Do we have a movement where containers start going into Texas? They start going to the East Coast ports because UPS, Scott Price, the president of UPS International, he, he stated something really interesting in a July Sorry, in a January 2022 interview with the Financial Times, he sees one consequence of the past 18 months as a migration to new supply chain models with companies moving production of complex goods closer to consumers to combat higher transportation costs. You're, 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 when you're, when the, uh, the boat sits at the port, it's, it's costing money. Texas has incredible laws on the books as it relates to autonomous trucks. The industry... I've said of the Dallas-Fort Worth as the capital of the autonomous trucking industry. All of your uh, members, they have offices there and facilities there. And, and Florida's wel welcome to it. Do we get to the point where if California will not open up for autonomous trucks and ships are rerouted to other ports, that it'll kind of just, as Mr. Price stated, it'll just kind of migrate to where the consumers are going? And with the growth of the influx, the population of Texas, it seems like it's ripe for the perfect, perfect recipe. Well, I mean, look... For for AV trucks to make the biggest positive impact, uh, economic impact and otherwise, you're going to have to see autonomous trucking, the industry, it can't be limited to just one state or region, right? So um, so, so you laid out you know, a number of the developments, but the reality is California has been a leader in the thoughtful regulation of autonomous vehicles uh, you know, to a point and, and got an early start in the 2012 legislation. Um, and then, you know, their approach right now, there are a lot of autonomous vehicle passenger car companies that are active there. So, uh, not to mention, you know, you, you talked about the port traffic and all of those opportunities, um, and an enormous just popular part, you know, slice of the population of the U S is there. So, um, 
that's the reality. But of course, without a rulemaking um, that adjusts this um, prohibition or fixes this prohibition on AV trucking, yeah, California certainly risks falling behind on the safety, the economic, and frankly, the environmental benefits of autonomous trucking. And that's just that's just the plain reality of the situation. And and we work to open this up in all 50 states because it's it's that much better for the American public. The environmental benefits are tremendous. The vehicles are not going to uh, as much emissions. So you have that in California is very pro environmental state. Do we get to the point where perhaps there's a new governor or we go through elections say, wait a second, we need to do something here because our citizens are suffering and this is going to have a positive environmental impact that they say, wait a second, let's figure something out. Do we get to that point where the environment and the economy kind of merge together and the policymakers are saying, wait a second, we have to do something here? Well, I think any... Uh, anyone that's in the administration of California, and um, and we work with with everyone. Uh, I think it's really just about communicating these benefits. On the environmental side, there's tremendous. Uh, we see tremendous potential here. Fuel savings up to ten percent just by deploying autonomous trucking, and no other changes, right? Because it's centering in the lane. It's not. Um, it's having a constant speed, uh, and just the, the the reduced acceleration and deceleration associated with that. Can be up to 10%. So just that alone is a huge impact. Not to mention, um, you know, over time the transition uh, to you know electrification. So I, you know, and then of course there's other aspects of uh, sustainability and, and climate, environmental quality that are that uh, this industry will promote. Uh, so I think all that taken together, we think that there's. A, you know, a great conversation to have with the folks in California and really everywhere to open this up. Um, environmental benefits is just one component. Fourteen uh, percent of, of uh, serious crashes, fatal crashes, are um, involve heavy trucks. That's you know first and foremost. And then you walk through the economic benefits as we've done, uh, environmental uh, and workforce are just a couple of the others. If you're a state official listening to this podcast autonomous trucking is good for society it's good for your local economy the drivers that live in your community will be able to go to their son or daughter's little league game on the weekend they'll be home for family dinner they'll be able to go to church on sunday the opportunities are tre tremendous take the time to learn about the technology write to me i'm happy to have long conversations with you about the benefits of this technology because it's good for society it will do it will do really good and Ariel, pu putting this whole conversation together where we had the fun autonomous vehicle name change, we went through passenger, we went to trucking, you're sitting in the middle of this wonderful ecosystem. In your opinion, what does the future of autonomy look like? Well, I'm very bullish on this industry. Um, the future of autonomy, we're going to see the, the the marriage of this technology with um, as American society uh, you know continues to evolve, um, we're going to see it plug in and start to provide these benefits. Yeah, what I see the future of autonomy, we see a the numbers uh, of fatalities and serious injuries in our roads. We see that number start to come down, and th th this is this is what we see as this technology gets deployed. The numbers come down because one of the central behavior, central causes of crashes 
uh, starts to get alleviated, mitigated, maybe even uh, eliminated one day. But we're going to see that number start to tank. I mean, almost directly proportional with the deployment of the technology. That's the reality that the U.S. Department of Transportation itself acknowledges. And then we're going to see uh, the supply chain issues start to um, get resolved. Um, and, you know, a, a very vibrant ecosystem build up around that. We didn't talk about that today, but all the, the kinds of jobs that uh, accrue and grow around this industry are just tremendous. Um, and then beyond that, um, I think if we're talking about autonomy overall, we're going to see accessibility be uh, advanced and expanded for community disability, individuals with disabilities, for older Americans. Um, these are just, you know, as as this technology gets gets built out, this is not to mention even the last mile delivery options. We're going to the same way that other technology, um, for those of us who grew up in the 90s, uh, you know, there was the, the analog world and we went to the digital world. We saw that happen. I mean, we've seen in our own lifetimes the way technology transforms the telecommunications, right? I mean, my kids laugh at me when they when I talk about a, a rotary phone. Um, the reality is we're going to see those transformations start to happen and it's going to be tremendously positive. And I think overall, uh, you know, it's just a very positive story. And I'm looking forward to it, quite frankly, especially as my 14-year-old uh, starts to get closer to a driver's license. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. You're right. We, I mean, you look at music. We went from the cassette to the CD. We had a little detour, the mini disc, and then we went to streaming. If you asked 15 years ago, would you stream all your music on your phone or, or stream all of your movies and TV shows on that? What's a stream? This is, dude, this is the, this is, you're crazy. No, it's not that. It's going to be Blu-ray. Blu-ray is going to win, and that's the future. And you're right, and we didn't see past that. Or going back to, to cell phones, and we had the giant box we had to carry around in cars, and you had to put the antenna up. If anybody said that Steve Jobs and would have the iPhone, I'd go, well, what's that? That that's not going to work. But you're right. It was all these things that we never thought that were going to work or scale, and they went on to have a profound effect on society. We're here in 2022. Imagine the world without an iPad or an iPhone today, or for that matter, an Android device. That's a that's a different world, and these really smart, wonderfully incredible engineers built that world for all of us to benefit from. And Ariel, as we look to wrap up this extremely exciteful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? You know, just following up from the last point, I would just say the AV industry is developing this technology safely. Right? Whatever analogies we'd make to to different technologies in different worlds, this is this is focused on developing the technology safely by design upfront, by being transparent with what it is, by being, uh, by providing information um, in many different ways about the safety of the technology. But then the, you know, coupled with that, of course, is the tremendous potential for this technology to make the road safer. So AV technology is being developed safely and it is making the road safer and it's doing that today and it will continue to do that. But we have to act as a nation to get a national framework that allows the industry to scale. And whether it's raising exemption caps or removing barriers or um, it, preserving federal and state roles in a way that, that ensures that there's clarity um, in a number of other ways, we it is incumbent upon us to, to find a way forward so that there's a national framework that allows this industry, industry to scale. And um, if we do that, we're gonna see a lot of these benefits that we talked about today start to uh, bear fruit 
And a lot of people are excited about that. And um, I'm just grateful that you you were able to have me on today to have this conversation. It's always a pleasure. Well, thanks for coming on. Keep doing what you're doing because an autonomous vehicle national framework will benefit every single American. It'll create a vibrant ecosystem, which will have a tremendous economic boom to the U.S. economy. And most importantly, it will make our roads safer because the future is bright. The future is autonomous and the future is a national framework for autonomous vehicles. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on the road to autonomy today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Road to Autonomy podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Road to Autonomy or email podcast at com. The Road to Autonomy is produced by Brulte & Company. The views and opinions expressed on the Road to Autonomy podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Brulte & Company. The content discussed on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, tax, investment, or business advice.